Amen. By this all, as we were able to stand for our gospel passage this morning, it is taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Hear now a reading of the good news. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Oh, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. We need to worship with you today. And um, you know, we're in this sermon series called Five, as we start, we're considering and studying chapter five of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter five is the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew records it, which is recorded in chapters five through seven. So we are working our way through this. You know, as I look at these passages in front of us, and that was a long pericope we just had in front of us, and as I think about that, I, I go back to a time many years ago in a different place when I was an undergraduate. I, one of my best friends is a guy named Jeff. Now, I don't know, for me this is true. I don't know if it's true for everyone, but I have this friends, and Jeff is one of these friends, who gets me into all kinds of things. Things that I would not otherwise find myself. I, I go to places, I do things, I, I, I find myself unbelievably out of my comfort zone. And Jeff is there. And he's reveling. He's laughing, smirking, making comments, having a great time. And I'm just hanging on. 
hanging on just to, just to survive and to be able to look back on it and say, was that fun or was it not fun? Was it worth it or was it not worth it? How much trouble did I get into? Was that worth it? Jeff is one of those guys. Now, Jeff is from, from New Hampshire. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. We are from worlds apart. And we, meet, we met at, at Florida State University. We were both in the same fraternity, both in the same major. We were both majoring in psychology. And we were in the uh, same program within that department, Applied Behavior Analysis in Business and Industry. It was a wonderful program, wonderful time together. We got to know each other and began to trust each other in spite of the many things he would get me into. When we graduated, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, what, what now? We should go to the same graduate school. We should get the same degree, and, and we'll start our own consulting firm, and we'll, we'll do that, and we'll make lots of money and be happy. Well, Jeff went off to Jacksonville State University, and I stayed in my comfort zone in Florida State. On one occasion, he invited me up for a long weekend and said, you need to come up here. This place is amazing. Here's some of the best mountain biking I've ever gotten been able to do. So I found the weekend that would work, and I, I threw my old mountain bike in the back of my 323 hatchback, and I made my way to Jacksonville. Got lost on the way. Finally get my, found my way there, and that night we, we had a, a steak dinner, and over his little hibachi he had on his little patio, we, we ate steak and potatoes together, and then he told me what we're going to do the next day. We're going to go up to the fire tower. It's an incredible ride. You're going to love it. You're going to see anything like this. Well, I'm from the hills and mountains of Tallahassee, Florida. I'm familiar with mountain trails, single track. Not really. That morning we get up fairly early. For two 22-year-olds, it was very early. We're making our way on our bikes through Jacksonville and up to this little gravel road that comes off of the neighborhood, and we begin going up this mountain. And we come to a fork in the road, and one fork looks really good. It looks doable. The other one looks pretty good. He said, we're going to go this way. We'll come down the other way. We're going to go on the face of this thing. We're going to go on this other road. It'll be great. You're going to just, just trust me. Famous last words. So we take off, and we're making our way up this small mountain. And we get about a third, two-thirds of the way up, a third left to go, and, and the road just disappears. It just becomes underbrush and trees and bushes and just is gone. And so I'm like, well, do we turn around? He goes, no, we're going to keep going. I'm like, there's no, there's, there's no road. There's no, there's nothing. So he gets on his bike and starts riding up this mountain through the trees to the point where you couldn't go anymore. And he gets off and he shoulders his bicycle and he begins to walk, hike up this mountain with his bike. And I'm dragging my poor mountain bike behind me. And every now and again, I'll get so frustrated and I'm pouring sweat <coughs> And I'm flinging this thing as hard as I could. Just get up the mountain. Just get me through this. It felt like a week. But it was probably 30 minutes or an hour of making my way up this thing. And we finally arrived at the top of this little peak. And there was the fire tower. And it was this old fire tower. And most of the steps weren't even there anymore. And he goes, let's go, let's go as far as we can up this tower. I'm like, what? The steps that are there don't look very trustworthy. So we make our way up, and the view was amazing. And he said, we gotta, we got to go back down. This is not real safe. And this is my friend, my, my adventurous friend. It's not real safe. 
So we make our way back down and I said, we're not going back the same way we came because now we're going to go this other way. It was a gravel road, like a service road, all the way down the mountain. It was amazing. I'm like, where, where was this an hour ago? But you know what? As I learned to mountain bike, and I was never that proficient, but I learned that when you're going up a mountain or up a hill, you, 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 you distribute your body weight over the front. You get closer to the front and keep the front wheel down. And when you're going down a, a grade, you get off the saddle and you're on the back of the saddle. It gives you more control. So I'm right behind it, and we're flying. We're flying down this gravel road. To the point that when we lock up our brakes to make a turn, we're going sideways with both brakes locked, just hopping down this road. Incredible. We got to the end, and I wanted to go do it again. It was like a roller coaster ride. I'm like, Jeff, that was amazing. He goes, wasn't it great? I said, we gotta do that again, because no, there's another one. But there are people in our lives that will get us to do things that otherwise we would not do. And sometimes those things we do give us a glimpse of something glorious, something amazing, something we want to, we want to do it again. It, it's flavorful. It's a, it's a blast of fresh air. It's a brilliant light. And that's what that was for me. You've probably had similar experience doing different things. But that's an important image for me as I think about where we're going in this chapter 5, in these verses 13 through 30. This is a, a big transition. You know, we just talked about last week about the beatitude that we find in the first 12 verses of chapter 5 in Matthew. And, and Jesus is kind of outlining what, why this world is, this kingdom of heaven is so different from the kingdom of this world. And how when we, when we come to a decision point, when we come to a fork in the road, you can't take both. You can't take both of them simultaneously. You've got to choose one. Because the, the blessings of the kingdom of heaven are not the blessings of the kingdom of this world. And you can't have both. You can't choose both at the same time. You've got to choose one. And that's a beautiful image for us. And coming out of that, Jesus begins to talk about salt and light. Now remember, these disciples, they're on this mountain. They've, Jesus has sat down, and in the, the, the early part of this chapter, Matthew tells us that he has opened his mouth and begins to teach his disciples. The disciples have gathered around him. We don't know how many there were. There may have been 12, there may have been 30, there may have been 70. We don't know. But there was a number of his followers, his students, who were gathered around to hear him teach. And we're also told of the crowds who have been gathered in Galilee from all over. They were there. They were kind of pressing in, I imagine, on those disciples. Not to get too close, but close enough where they can overhear what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was doing. And that's a wonderful image. That's a powerful image for us to hold as we make our way through Matthew. Because these disciples, these followers of Christ, this is the image of the church. The church gathers at Jesus' feet to, to, to hear, to listen, to see, to learn, to follow. And all the while, the world, these crowds, are overhearing, and they're overseeing, and they're curious. And they want to know what's happening. They want to know more. So here Jesus begins to talk about salt and light. He tells these disciples, this early church, he tells us, that you are the salt 
salt of the earth. And we saw this wonderful illustration that, that Amy offered the, the, our children's moment that it lifts people up. That's a, a property of salt in water. It gives more buoyancy. We also heard that it's a, it has um, therapeutic effects. And it has the effect of having flavor. Having, adding spice to life. And it's a preservative. Salt in the ancient world was very important. Jesus knew, his disciples knew that this was not, not something like, this was an important issue. And to be called the salt of the earth was important and powerful. And then to be called a, the light of the world. To be a, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. They, they knew what that looked like. They were familiar that when they were, whenever they traveled to Jerusalem, that was a city on the hill. And when it was lit up, either for, for festivals and, and feasts, or, or just lit up at night because of the homes and the torches and lanterns, they knew what a city on the hill looked like. It illumined that whole hill, that whole mountaintop. You can't hide that. It's a beacon calling the world, showing the way. And Jesus is telling his followers that that first church, you are a beacon. You are a city on the hill and you offer light to the world. The you in our scriptures is a plural you. It's the same you that they use for the Beatitudes. When he says, you are blessed. And now Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let that sink in. You, we, the church, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. What we do is in public. It can't be hid. What we do attracts people, draws people, raises questions for people. And what we do shows people that we glorify God. We follow the one, the one Lord Jesus Christ. This is a powerful image. And that's the first section of four that we are into today. This long pericope that I just read is broken into four different passages. The salt and light is just verses 13 through 16. The next section is verses 17 through 20 is a transitional piece that moves from this salt and light that this is what you're called to do. This is what you're called to be. Church, you're called to be the salt. Church, you're called to be the light. Now what does that mean? How do we get deeper? What does that say about the, the law? What does that say about the Mosaic Covenant? What does it say about everything else we've been following and doing for so many years and generations? And Jesus answers the question in this transitional phase in verses 17 to 20 when he tells the disciples, when he tells the church, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to, to take away all that we've been doing for so many generations. That's not my purpose. Not one letter, not one piece of a letter will go away from the law until it is all fulfilled and accomplished by the will of God. I didn't come to take it away, Jesus said, but I've come to fulfill it. That had to set them at ease for what was about to come. That had to let all those people who were overhearing the world, 
All those Jewish people who were waiting for an opportunity to say, this man is destroying the law. He's taking it away. I'm not taking it away, Jesus says. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to interpret it and to tell you what it really means. What's, what's underneath it? What's behind these laws? And that's a powerful piece as he begins to turn this teaching now towards commandment 6 and commandment 7. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. Matthew pulls these two out because these, these easily show what, what, how, how do you get behind the commandment of you shall not. You shall not murder. You shall not take, the, take someone's life. You should not endanger someone's life to the point of death. That's the law. That's the extreme. You shall not commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. That, that, that's the extreme. And Jesus says, I'm not taking that away. All I'm doing is showing you what's behind it. What's the intent? What's the will? What's the heart of the commandment? And so how do we become the salt? And how do we become the light? How do we be these things and follow the commandments? Jesus says it's about relationships. How do we relate to our brother and our sister? When he says... If you're going to the temple to offer your sacrifice and you realize that there's, a, there's something in between you and a brother and sister back home, a neighbor back home, and they have something against you, there's a quarrel between you, there's a, there's a brokenness between you, leave your, leave your sacrificial animal that you just purchased there at the temple mount, leave it there at the steps, go home, wherever that may be, and find that brother or sister, find that neighbor, and reconcile. And after you've reconciled, then you can come back. And you can undergo this outward, invisible sign of, of worship. But this relationship, this relationship between people, among people, that's more important. That's what Jesus is getting at. In, these, in this section of chapter 5, this is the point. Is that how we relate to each other? How we take care of each other, the world will see. The world will taste. The world will be drawn in by the light that is offered in our relationships together. That's an enormous, deep, and huge understanding that probably reshaped everything the disciples understood about the commandments. It was no longer just about the, the extreme edge of do not murder. Now it was, let's protect ourselves and protect others. Let's protect our relationship. Let's guard against unhealthy anger. Let's guard against unhealthy lusts, unhealthy desires. So that we don't reach the point of extremes. Let's have healthy relationships together. That's what's underneath the commandments. This is powerful. It's a, a new understanding that they were stretched. And the world was stretched. And we are stretched. Because it's not easy to maintain healthy relationships.
It's hard work. And that, my friends, church, is done only with the power and the grace of God Almighty. That's where it comes from. Left to ourselves, we can only guard against the extreme of committing murder, committing adultery, harming one another. But to understand it as an internal, a heart, our intentions, our will, our relationship, that's with God's grace. That's where Jesus is taking his disciples. You know, there's all kinds of examples within the church universe on the history of the church about where the, the church can be seen as this city on a hill. One that I was reading about just recently, and, and we all remember, if you are old enough to remember, in 2006, what happens in that small one-room ha- one schoolhouse in Lancaster, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. A year after that mass shooting, um, Joseph Shapiro, on all things considered, says this as he was revisiting the one-year anniversary. It's been a week for quiet reflection in the Amish communities around Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, which one year ago experienced tragedy. It was in the tiny community that a man stormed into a one-room schoolhouse and shot ten young girls, killing five. He then killed himself. That old school has since been demolished. The new school was closed on the year, one-year anniversary, and families met privately in prayer. Since the tragedy, people around the world have been inspired by the way the Amish expressed forgiveness toward the killer and his family. But while their acts of forgiveness were inspiring, they also caused a misperception that the Amish had quickly gotten over the tragedy. Charles Roberts wasn't Amish. But Amish families knew him as the milk truck driver who made deliveries. Last month, it was announced that the Amish community had donated money to the killer's widow and her three young children. It was one more gesture of forgiveness. Gestures that began soon after the shooting. I think the most powerful demonstration of the depth of Amish forgiveness was when members of the Amish community went to the killer's burial service at the cemetery. Several families, Amish families, who had buried their own daughters just the day before were in attendance. And they hugged the widow and hugged other members of the killer's family. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Salt should never lose its saltiness. Forgiveness is from God. And forgiveness is as bright and as brilliant as a city on a hill. Because forgiveness is from and by God and God alone. And when the world sees God acting through us, the church, it cannot help but see and taste and know that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.